You're listening to The Modern Mainframe, BMC's Intelligence C Optimization and Transformation Podcast, covering the latest trends and issues in the mainframe and how BMC Amy Solutions can help you make change your competitive advantage. Hey, everyone. Welcome to The Modern Mainframe. I'm Matt Dallaire. Today, we'll be discussing the modern mainframe developer experience, or what we call DevX, how and why to improve it, what it means for developers and their organizations, and more. We have a special guest today, but first, I'll welcome two gentlemen who, if you're a regular listener of the Modern Mainframe, need no introduction. BMC DevOps architect and evangelist Tony Enter, and lead product manager Mark Schettenhelm. Tony, Mark, as always, it's great to have you here. Great to be here, Matt. Great to be here, Matt. We're also joined today by someone with whom our listeners are probably familiar. My own introduction to DevOps, Agile, and other industry trends included reading many of his articles. Founder and managing partner of IT industry analysis and advisory firm Intellix, Jason Bloomberg. Jason, thanks for joining us. Yeah, it's great to be here. So Jason, recently you wrote an Intellix white paper commissioned by BMC entitled Mainstreaming the Modern Mainframe Developer Experience. And I'll include a link to that in the show notes. Can you talk a little bit about what you mean by mainstreaming mainframe DevX and why that's necessary? Yeah, the discussion really begins with the role of the mainframe in the modern enterprise. You know, over the years, you know, actually since the 1960s, the mainframe has had a sort of a special position within enterprise IT. It used to be the sum total of uh, what we used to call MIS or uh, data processing back in the day. Uh, and then as organizations added uh, distributed computing, there was definitely this this dichotomy. There was the mainframe with host-based processing and then everything else. And it was like two separate worlds. What's been happening more recently is that organizations are realizing that they have inherently hybrid IT infrastructure. And by hybrid, I mean cloud and on-premises. And uh, that includes distributed computing as well as the mainframe. So what's happening is the mainframe is becoming just another server alternative that brings its unique capabilities to the enterprise organization. So for the perspective of, you know, long-term mainframe people, this is a shift in the way they're participating in this broader IT organization. For the more newer generation of mainframe people, they may just think of the mainframe as just one of many options where maybe they're programming on the mainframe, maybe they're programming somewhere else. Uh, But from the perspective of the developer, uh, it doesn't really matter, right? They're going to pick the right tool for the job, even if that tool is the the underlying platform. Yeah, I think you bring up a really good point there, Jason, because one of our mantras up to this point has been the mainframe is just another server in your data center, right? It's just another platform. While it is, I don't want to say it's not special, it's not special in that regard. To your point, really loads and application development and capabilities need to go to the platform that serves them best. And for things like batch processing, systems of record, data storage, management, security, those things, the mainframe has yet to be replaced, has yet to be moved off of. And so I think that's a that's a really good point in finding that you have. And it goes along with a lot of the things that we've been saying. Yeah. So in terms of the developer experience, I think uh, the question there is, uh, you know, the, the, who the developer is and what they're trying to accomplish, because we definitely have different sorts of people who may uh, be working on the mainframe. I mean, there are the sort of the, the, the professional mainframers who've been doing mainframe their whole career. So those could be the, you know, the gray hairs that have been doing this for 30 years, or it could be people 
it may be a younger generation, but basically began their, began their career on the mainframes have been working on it ever since. So there's definitely many of those. Uh, but then there's also this broader audience of people who've been working in different environments with different languages. They might be Java developers or Python. They might be working primarily in cloud development or uh, other sorts of environments. And now the mainframe is now, uh, for one reason or another, becoming part of their remit, right? Yeah. Something they have to deal with. And so they're looking at that and they're saying, well, uh, you know, what's going on here? Do I have to learn COBOL? Do I have to deal with all of these arcane, uh, from their perspective, arcane ancient operating system uh, <laughs> ins and outs? Or is there a way to uh, work with the mainframe in a more modern way, using modern tools, maybe using modern languages? and using modern processes and, and procedures, including DevOps. And this, this is one of the key things that is now uh, becoming a core part of the mainframe DevX is, well, how does the mainframe fit into this DevOps story? Yeah, I mean, I think to your point, again, you make another great point, which is, you know, up to this, uh, up until recently, and when I say recently, take recently how you want, um, the main, you know, the, the people working on the mainframe were holding themselves apart from the other engineers in the organization. And as you're seeing to your point that, you know, the, a lot of retirements and a lot of those people aging out, you're starting to see that those two worlds merge. And along with this comes that expectation of a certain developer experience. They don't want to go back to a green screen. They don't want to go back to, to your point, uh, ancient, I love that term, by the way, ancient, uh, operating system capabilities, right? They want all that modern goodness that they're they're used to working with. Your Git native development, you know, your your, your some your Linux based commands, um, your your modern IDEs and automation and capabilities. And again, if we divorce that from what we said initially, which is the mainframe is just another platform, you're seeing those worlds merge and you're seeing right. those capabilities come together. And, and Tony, you know, you say modern, and it's not just because it's modern and therefore right. good. It's because of what it brings. Modern is that we've we've grown from what we did 30, 40 years ago. These modern interfaces provide a superior developer experience and automate a lot of their tasks and have analysis so it makes it easier. So they don't want to go backwards because we're all busy. We don't want to add on an extra burden of having to learn a different interface, which is a step backwards. Yeah, yeah. And, and I mean, you talk about the gray hair. I'm that guy from this side of the fence coming over into the mainframe <laughs> versus the mainframe guy coming out this way. So I see it both ways, uh, even though I have the gray hair. So. So one of the, the big challenges that uh, you know, developers, software engineers have as they, you know, they interview for jobs and they may be considering a position that involves mainframe work is, well, how, how are they going to spend their time, right? And the reason they got into software engineering usually is because they enjoy programming, right? It's a creative endeavor and it can be very fulfilling. Um, but they, if they're looking at working in a large organization, whether it's the mainframe or not, there's always going to be the question, well, how much of my time is really going to be programming? And how much is made up with all the other stuff that goes along with working in a big company? So the bureaucracy and the meetings and, and in terms of the actual working with tools, how much of the time if I'm actually sitting in front of my computer working, how much of that is actually programming versus 
you know, dealing with tools or dealing with uh, permissions or dealing with all the other stuff that you might do on a computer that isn't actually writing code, right? And the problem for a lot of these enterprise engineers is that a, a sort of a dreadfully small amount of their time is actually writing code. And that's not really what they signed up for when they decided to go into this career, right? So this is a core part of the developer experience challenge is how do we help people who really want to spend their time coding, spend their time coding, right? That's what they want to do. And that's what they're good at. And, and you want them doing that because it's hard to find people who are good at it. So if they are good at it, you want them doing it, right? So this is a core part of the story. And if, from the perspective of the tooling, it's about getting the tools out of their way, right? You don't want to have developers have to spend all their time figuring out how to deal with, you know, Git over here or Jira over there or something else or, you know, DevOps tool chains and all of this mess. All of that stuff is supposed to support that core role of the software engineer, which is creating code and working on working on code in existing environments. Uh, and we need, we need to get all that nonsense out of their way. And that's a huge part of the developer experience. Yeah, just like in the Unicorn Project, you know, when they talk about make your job, make your development a delight. I, I thought that was a really powerful statement that they said in that book. And it has to do with getting, I mean, I think on the SRE side, they call it toil. And I, th I think that's another great term. While I'm not trying to, you know, fuse this into an SRE discussion, because that's a podcast in and of itself, wink, wink. That is weighs on people, right? And you see that in the quality of their code. You see that in their, you know, the, how much work they're able to get done, the throughput. You see that in, if I'm having to carry 100 pounds today, but I can go to another company and I'm only carrying 50, that's that's something you're going to consider versus if you're going in and every day is a delight and you're really jazzed with what you're doing, then a lot of those things don't become issues anymore. Right. And to your point, your developer experience gets better. It's the creativity and keeping that spark going. And as far as the toil, some things are necessary. You know, you have to yeah. you have to do a build. You have to do certain tasks. But what can I do to make that so it isn't toil? And in, in a lot of that becomes automation then is a way to liberate them so that they can be created. Yeah, I mean, you're not going to get rid of toil completely. Let's, it, let's be clear on Right, that. it has to be right. done. Yes. Yeah. Either smoothing that out or reducing it goes a long way. Yeah, toil is actually a term from the lean movement. So it dates back, I don't know, many decades, even before software development. It came out of Toyota, I think, in the... 50s of it or 60s of it was um and it's sort of the uh, uh, the other side of toil is flow right we want to achieve flow where the people at work whether they be developers or other people on the team are able to work in a coordinated fashion so they're working as a team uh but the uh, but the roadblocks are out of their way so they can flow they can do what they need to do if they need something from somebody else it's available when they need it and likewise if they need to provide something to somebody else they're able to do that within the context of the work they're doing and so all of the work across the team just flows right as opposed to stopping and waiting for something or doing something off task and that's where the toil comes in so it's difficult to achieve because you know software development is in, in measure unpredictable. We don't really know how long it's going to take for us to do things and we have to iterate. And so there's always a level of unpredictability. But if we can arrange our tooling so as to, to optimize the flow and reduce the toil, then we're able to 
uh, you know, basically optimize our productivity and our morale, right? The work is just more engaging, more interesting. And this, this is a core part of how we achieve that, that better DevX. Yeah, and I think, I mean, this has been the nirvana state of every organization, every team, you know, every company, every team since Henry Ford put the first assembly line together. How do I get this to go from A to Z in the, with the least amount of friction? Right. Um, but you, you bring up a really good point about morale and, you know, having been an individual contributor, and I'm, I'm sure we've all had our, our time in the bucket there. I've been on teams where you can palpably feel a lack of morale, a, a greater amount of toil than on other teams. Right. I mean, it, it's not you say, how do you measure something like this or or, you know, this is this is just some etheric uh, theory that we have, you know, that we're, we're you know, we, we've, we've gleaned out of some management books, but you can honestly feel when you're in a system, when you're in an organization, a team, a situation, whatever that may be, where you have a lot of friction, you, 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 it, it, it is literally weight on you as you're trying to do your job. And I think all of us as, you know, DevOps practitioners, as vendors, as consultants, as, you know, service providers, we need to get engineers and developers back to doing what they love doing and what they do best, which is 100% development. You're never going to get to 100%, but that should always be the goal. That should be where you're shooting for. So this was a goal of DevOps all along, right? To, originally, I remember going to an early DevOps conference, and it was all about helping the developers and the operators work together in a more sort of empathic way where, uh, you know, they're able to leverage automation to accelerate uh, development um, uh, across teams. Uh, over the years, though, DevOps became sort of a separate division. You'd have DevOps engineers that were separate from development, separate from operations, and their their time was spent on monkeying with tools in the tool chain, right? And there were more and more tools, and you know, and I've talked to dozens of vendors who are you know selling one tool or another that all go on this tool chain, and so it's sort of bogging it, bogging down in its own, under its own weight that the DevOps effort we need a separate team for it because it takes so much time and effort just to get these tools to work. Uh, work together in a way that you know achieves the goals of the of the software development team. So, from the perspective of the engineers, then who are actually doing the work, the tools ideally are helping them get the work done, but in reality, often slow them down as much as help facilitate their work. And that's that's been a challenge to the developer experience. And one of the reasons why there's sort of been a lot of buzz around DevOps being dead. I wouldn't go that far, but there's definitely uh, sort of the the perspective on the role DevOps plays has definitely been shifting in the marketplace. And that's that's a key part of the story. And that, that impacts the mainframe developers as well, because uh, DevOps is supposed to help them right. uh, as part of this mainstreaming effort. And if, if everybody's getting bogged out in the tools, that's not helping the mainframe developers either. Yeah, and I've seen that a lot of times in a lot of organizations that I've talked to and, and people and places I've gone. They get, to your point, they get bogged down in tooling, tooling discussions, what tool Versus talking about capabilities. What do I want to accomplish? What do I want to actually do? And then, then working from that capability backwards. I want to be able to get to production with as least friction as possible. Okay. And now I want to be able to do an automated build when I do a check-in of my code. Okay. 
then working from there to figure out how do you enable that versus I have this tool and now I have to figure out how to shoehorn this tool into my pipeline. I don't think DevOps is dead. I think, and, and well, first off, I definitely don't think DevOps is dead, but I think that the focus shifts on things, right? Well, you know, I, I remember it was CICD. It was, you know, continuous integration, continuous deploy, or, or whatever definition of CD you have. I've heard about eight. Um, it, then from there, it went to DevOps. Then DevOps started talking about SRE because DevOps had a, you know, capital DEV with a lowercase OPS. And then SRE was more looking on the operational side and automation on the operational side. At least that's my interpretation of it. Now you're starting to see that transform into platform engineering, right? You're seeing that DevOps shift into platform engineering, which is, you know, in my mind, or at least my ham-handed definition of that is, automation of your DevOps capabilities. You have that team that's setting all this up. And if they set it up right, it should be self-service. It should be something that I can go out and just define what I want to do. And now I have all those capabilities in my in my tool chest. So I can now start building out my own automation, my own pipelines for what I need. Because to your point, each app, each development, I'll even go so far as each project, is its own thing. Doesn't mean everything has to be, it's a unique snowflake. Team to team, app to app, you're going to have different capabilities necessary for each one. So you need to have flexibility. You also need that self-service capability. Yeah, so platform engineering, it's, it's good you bring, bring that up. Um, and you mentioned that uh, it's about bringing automation to DevOps. And I, I just be careful because we need to make a sort of clarify a point here. DevOps was always about automation, right? I mean, we're trying to combine tools in an automated way to drive more uh, rapid uh, software development. But the challenge is that DevOps without platform engineering lacks that engineering best practice, right? Where basically it's up to whoever happens to be the, on the DevOps team to put these things together without some sort of coordinated uh, platform plan. And that's what platform engineering brings to the table. Say, so yes, we need to automate these tools, but we need to do it in a best practice approach. We're going to approach the automation as an engineering challenge and engineer the appropriate platform for our particular needs. So self-service is part of the story because if we get that platform in place, then developers don't have to do that engineering for themselves. It's already been done. The platform is in place. They simply go to the the, the marketplace or the, the, the portal or whatever is set up, right? It's up to the organization to set it up. And they can basically uh, find the tools they want. They're pre-configured as much as possible. The burden of configuration on the developer is as minimal as possible just based upon what they need to do on, on that day with that tool. And all of the heavy lifting of getting these tools set up and setting up the automations, which is setting up the workflow processes, has already been put in place by the platform engineering team. So that platform engineering facilitates the the uh, self-service in a way that DevOps alone has struggled with. I think that was a very good way to put it because to your point, DevOps has always been about automation. But what we're talking about is really the automation of, of, of creating a platform, creating a self-service platform, and taking that right. toil of doing that away from both the DevOps team as well as the application team having to define it.
Right. And when we talk about the developer experience, there's the developer experience to free up their creativity and have less toil. But this is taking it to the automation to set it up and it delivers a better developer experience in in setting it up. So it's it pays off in both ways for the developer. Yeah. And, and, and let's not forget our, our operations brothers out there. Too, because this this sets up a defined, to your point, a defined platform and a defined set of pipelines, a defined capability to be able to deliver in a consistent way all those changes, be able to deliver in a consistent way all those things that are necessary. So this is a benefit to your application developer, your operations and your operational engineer, SRE, security, management, your business, all of it. It all ties back together. And this is why when people talk about DevEx or developer experience, this this truly is holistically a benefit for the entire company. This isn't just about giving your engineers, you know, softer chairs and bigger monitors and, you know, uh, you know, the keeping the air down so everybody's cool. This is about this is about enhancing your entire organization. And it starts at the root which is the developer. There's no org- there's no companies today that can't say they're not in the IT game, right? This isn't just Silicon Valley anymore. Banks, retailers, insurance companies, municipalities, they all have software at their core these days and mainframe for that. <laughs> so, Yeah, it's good that you mentioned security because I think that's an important part of the story that even though we're talking about the developer experience and the platform engineering is primarily to support the developers, it's really to support the full software lifecycle. So it's all the participants in that lifecycle, which includes the security team and includes, uh, you didn't mention QA or testing, they're in there, uh, as well as the operation. So the deployment part of the story, uh, one of the challenges with DevOps is we're trying to shift certain deployment uh, responsibilities to developers, and that's always created a point of friction with the operators who need to run the code. So, are the developers deploying code directly into production? Does an organization want them to do that? And and there's been, all, you know, every organization sort of deals with these struggles in different ways. So, the second part of what platform engineering brings, the first, the first part, it brings uh, engineered automation to the table, which delivers developer self-service. The second part is what uh, we're calling the golden path. That is. Uh, once we have this self-service platform in place, there is a, a best practice approach built into that, yeah. right? And that best practice approach is decided on by the platform team. So it varies from organization to organization. It's not like you have to do something following some cookbook somewhere, right? You decide, you as an organization decide how you want to do it. But this makes it easy for the developers to do things the right way with still the allowance that they can make exceptions if necessary, but they, they're doing that intentionally, right? So most of the time they're doing things the easy way and the easy way is the right or best way. So you, you have the alignment of the developer experience itself because everybody knows they'd rather do things the easy way than the hard way, uh, but align with, with that, with what the organization is trying to accomplish, both in terms of the functionality of the software, as well as uh, security and uh, performance and other non-functional requirements. All of that is built in to that best practice uh, golden path. Yeah. And, and I, I think to your point, it's built in as a, as a first class citizen in that, in that, in that capability, right? Because whereas before when you had, you know, 
someone having to go in and sort of, you know, hand create all these pieces. And each one was, you know, you have to put in a ticket and then your ticket comes. Things get missed. This gives actually the platform teams now a way of defining certain standards and certain capabilities that have to be there before they get to before they get beyond a certain point. And by taking that out of the engineering team's hands and creating that as a standard offering, again, you're you're reducing that friction. You're reducing that toil in setting it up. Now security gets what they want, but without putting an additional onus on the application team who probably already has, you know, 25% more story points than they can handle per sprint anyway, <laughs> right? Yeah, so platform engineering, it's a hot topic today. It's sort of, you know, taken the, the focus off of DevOps and everybody's talking about platform engineering. I went to KubeCon uh, a few months ago uh, and talked to half a dozen companies there, you know, in the cloud native conference who are all, you know, supporting uh, platform engineering in one way or another. But what those companies at the KubeCon show, that is the cloud native computing show, they weren't really talking about how the mainframe fit into the story. That wasn't, it wasn't really a mainframe oriented show. So then the question is, well, how does this platform engineering movement drive the mainframe developer experience? And I think this is a very important point because, you know, as we said at the start of, start of, the, uh, start of the show, uh, the mainframe is becoming uh, mainstreamed, right? It's becoming a core part of how organizations build and run software at scale. And platform engineering can facilitate many of those sticky points to accomplishing that mainstreaming goal, right? That is, if we have established best practice for how to incorporate the mainframe into various software development uh, priorities, then that's going to be our golden path. Our golden path is going to be, well, this is where we work with the mainframe, right? It's going to be right there on the path. So instead of struggling with, you know, how to bring the mainframe into the story, right? Struggling with that mainstreaming problem, it mainstreaming is going to be built in right. specific to the needs of the organization. So uh, different organizations use mainframes for different things or different parts of their modernization strategy. And there's a lot of complexity to it, but whatever that, established golden path is that's going to include the mainframe in whatever way it serves the organization. Yeah, it goes back to what we started off talking about, which is the mainframe is again just another platform. It's just another target. It's just another deployable platform for my changes or for what is needed. Mm -hmm. So those changes that fit their best should be the ones that are pushed. And there shouldn't to your point there shouldn't be a difference between uh, my mainframe platform interface versus, you know, my distributed or my cloud, like the, the same set of things. Now, there are, of course, underlying differences that have to be accomplished, but that's at a task level. At your overarching platform, you know, pipeline capability, those should all be the same. And I mean, it's, it's trying to manage these differences got us to the point that we're at today, where mainframe is this separate world from something else. And, you know, from a platform engineering and from a developer experience point of view, both those need to merge together. There really should not be a difference. It shouldn't matter whether I should look, be looking at the same thing and the same capabilities if I'm a, uh, if I'm uh, writing a, a Golang app and I'm deploying that onto AWS or Azure, or I'm writing a COBOL app and I'm deploying that to the mainframe. My interface should be the same. The only difference is the, the underlying language that I'm writing in. Right. The mainframe needs to be included in your plans. 
And that way you get the maximum benefit across the organization rather than limiting it to just some of the organization and not all. You need to include the mainframe and especially because the applications go end to end. Absolutely. Yeah. Now we sort of, we took half an hour and made it sound all so simple, but <laughs> but in reality, of course, there's a lot of a lot of complexity devils under the covers the uh, when we're dealing with the main. It devils in the details when we're dealing with the mainframe in the context of the modern hybrid IT environment. We can't just think about applications; we have to think about data as well. And there's a lot of subtleties there. Do you want to leave your data on the mainframe? Uh, you know, have applications in the cloud that access your mainframe data. Maybe vice versa. You have applications on the mainframe that are accessing cloud or other on-premises data that's off the mainframe. Uh, and then there's the complexities of the modernization efforts, right? Modernization may or may not mean trying to move off the mainframe. Typically, organizations find that that's not the best approach, but rather need to modernize in place on the mainframe, which may mean updating the code on the mainframe or moving from one code base to another on the mainframe, or maybe moving some parts of, say, a, a COBOL code base, moving some parts of that to Java off the mainframe, other parts you leave on the mainframe. And so there's a lot of subtlety and complexity, all of which impacts this mainframe developer experience and the role that platform engineering can play. Because putting together that platform when the mainframe is involved can involve many different types of use cases, depending upon all of these subtle and complex challenges that different organizations face as they deal with mainframes and hybrid environments. Yeah, I mean, if you go back... 10 years, 15 years, right? This is, a, this is a problem that the distributed side had as well. They had built up massive monolithic applications that you know, were running somewhat efficiently where they were at, but now all of a sudden along comes the cloud and along comes all these additional capabilities. But you can't take that four gig, applica- four gig worth of code ear file application that you had and just plop it on the cloud and get all of the, 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 the ephemeral cloud capabilities, right? That's where you had to start looking at refactoring and doing, you know, 12-factor apps, doing 12-factor apps that were, that were ideally set up to operate on the cloud. And I think you're seeing the same thing on the mainframe. The only difference being that a lot of the mainframe apps have had 30, 40 years to build up this technical debt versus not. But, but there, there isn't any magic formula to this, to your point, Jason. Like, we make it sound easy, but sometimes you got to roll up your sleeves and put in the, the sweat equity. The only thing I would say is that the, the juice is worth the squeeze. The benefit right. you will get out of taking that time and taking those projects and refactoring that code will benefit you in the long run. The same way having to refactor all that Java code back in the day, which... Trust me, I mean, I'm, I'm here, I'm, I'm where I'm at because of having to do that, right? Um, that paid benefits as well. That allowed teams to now start really optimizing what they could do on the cloud. And it's the same thing with mainframe code, I think. And we're seeing that same progression or that same life cycle on the mainframe that we saw on the distributed side. Almost almost verbatim how it how it's rolling out. I think this is a good place to step in. And, you know, speaking of platform engineering and the self-service aspect, this has kind of been a self-service podcast uh, where I just asked a question and then wandered off for a while. Uh, You're all given a great example of self-service for podcast host X. (laughs) But to close out the show, I'll ask each of you for any final thoughts. Jason, I'll start with you. 
Yeah, well, well, Tony brought up uh, some interesting points that, you know, this modernization challenge is not simply, uh, you know, associated with the mainframe. You, you know, everything you do today becomes legacy in a few years, and that's been going on for decades, right? So whether it's the Java Java EE stuff, you know, the monolithic Java, That's there's still a lot of that around. We're modernizing that. Uh, SOAP-based web services that were a huge thing in the 2000s, we're modernizing all that. You probably, uh, you being the enterprise, enterprise, probably have numerous other older technologies and you're in the struggling with modernizing that. There's a surprising amount of Windows NT still out there and who knows what all, right? So the mainframe is just part of this story, but it's not a black and white affair, right? When mm -hmm. you say the mainframe, there's actually a lot of different things that could be there, right? I mean, IBM keeps the platform uh, fully up to date and modern. The, the latest mainframes are amazing machines, but that doesn't mean that's the kind you have. You may have one that's several generations old, and then maybe it is legacy, right? And so there's many different subtle challenges depending upon your particular legacy environment, if, if you want to call it legacy, uh, and your particular goals, right? So uh, whether you, how much you want to update, whether it makes sense to rework COBOL to microservices or not, and then which COBOL goes to which microservices. These are all very subtle questions that need careful answers, or you don't want to jump to any conclusions. Uh, but the platform engineering approach can help with that, right? Because platform engineering isn't about saying, do a, do something a particular way. It's about facilitating the, the self-service and providing that golden path that you may or may not follow, but it's it's the path that's laid out for you if you, if you care to follow. Mark? Yeah, when when we look at the developer experience and we talked about DevOps and platform engineering to help develop that, a better developer experience, we also talked about the investment and it is a big investment, but it's important to bring the mainframe in there and leave no developer behind, that every developer deserves a good developer experience. And you shouldn't say, oh, well, they're on the mainframe. They don't get it. Every developer deserves that equivalent good experience. Great point. Tony? Yeah, I mean, I don't know how much is left for me to offer because I think Jason and Mark both really hit it on the head. Um, the one thing I would say is for anyone listening to this or organizations or people that are wanting to go down this, enhancing the developer experience is worth it. It's, it's that simple. Enhancing the developer experience is worth it. It might not pay immediate dividends today or tomorrow, but ultimately it will pay dividends and it will make it easier to hire, easier to retain, easier to deliver. Your quality will go up. Your throughput will go up. You'll get to the market faster. All of those things are, are doable. And it doesn't matter the platform. I'm not talking mainframe or non-mainframe. I'm talking in general. Make your developer happy, make your worker happy, make the person who's doing the job happy, and good things will come. This has been a great conversation all the way through. Um, I had a whole list of questions. You answered all of them and more, and I didn't even have to ask, so that was great. So Jason, Mark, Tony, thank you again for being here. Thank you. Thank you. Always a pleasure, Matt. And as always, thank you to everyone listening. We'll include links to further information in the show notes, including the IntelliX white paper, Mainstreaming the Modern Mainframe Developer Experience. We'll talk to you next time on the Modern Mainframe. Take care. You're listening to the Modern Mainframe, BMC's Intelligence Z Optimization and Transformation Podcast, covering the latest trends and issues in the mainframe, 
and how BMC Amy Solutions can help you make change your competitive advantage.